0: The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast Dr. Taz. Your good health journey starts now. Here's Dr. Taz.
1: Welcome back to Superwoman Wellness, where on every episode of this show, we are going to uncover the secrets to being superpowered and being the superwoman you are meant to be. Joining me today is a treat. I have followed this gentleman's work for a while as I've evolved into this career, but I have with me today. Dr. Alan Christensen. Dr. Christensen is a naturopathic endocrinologist who focuses on thyroid function, adrenal health, and metabolism, our favorite word. He has been actively practicing in Scottsdale since 1996 and is the founding physician behind his integrative health practice. He's a New York Times bestselling author whose books include the latest, The Metabolism Reset Diet, just out this February, The Adrenal Reset Diet, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Thyroid Disease. Welcome to the show, Dr. Christensen.
0: Hey, Dr. Taz. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, we're thrilled to have you. And before we jump into the meat of our metabolism, which we all are hoping that you have the magic for, tell us a little bit about how you landed in this field and in the world of naturopathic medicine. Maybe just give us a little sense of, of your journey, and then we'll jump right into to some questions here.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, my, my earliest interests were far quite far from all this. It was actually astrophysics was <laughs> my, my first big oh, wow! But so
1: you're not so you're definitely <laughs> not smart <laughs> Anyhow, <so. laughs>
0: Well, and that was that was as a kid. I just was really bookish and you know, this is like just after the Apollo mission stuff and a yes. lot a lot of fancy ideas were floating around. <clears throat> but I was not a healthy kid. I had seizures and complications from cerebral palsy and you know, I was never knew anything different, so I was content enough until about adolescence, and it took me about that long to realize that, you know, how the rest of the world viewed me actually mattered. I was pretty rough, you know, locked up in my own thoughts, but yeah, by then it was pretty apparent that I was I was a really fat kid, and that wasn't common then. We didn't see much of that in the 70s, and I, I just couldn't do physical things, um, huh. and the frustration pushed me to hit a different section of the library and, you know, start grabbing some of the health books back when. And there weren't many, but yeah, you know, Adele Davis had a few titles out, but it was pretty few and far between. But it was a a powerful thing, you know, just trying to sort through some ideas and then integrating them and seeing that some could work for me, some could not, and taking it slow and iterating. And, you know, after getting some rhythm going, it, it just changed my life and, you know, overcoming some symptoms and issues and getting fit again. And then the conviction, the realization that, you know, how profound and how wonderful this changed me, this health information, and how it was stuff that I'd found, but wasn't so much given to me by the professional. So, yeah, it drove me to want to pursue medicine. And I understood how important lifestyle was, because that was what did it for me. I was given medications for my seizures and you know, I had a lot of side effects from those, but I, I was really left realizing that lifestyle was the big thing. So I learned about the naturopathic profession and how, you know, I could be a full-on doctor and do all the sides of technology that I loved, but really deliver that with the understanding of lifestyle. So that was a perfect fit.
1: And amazing. And then my
0: creating That's residency. Yeah. What's that?
1: No, was just an amazing story. It's so <laughs> funny. I'm laughing. It's funny how so many of us get into this because of our own personal journeys.
0: Oh, that happens a lot. Wounded healers.
1: And, yes, but
0: much. Yeah, so. and during, <laughs> and then during residency, there was such a gulf in the case of thyroid disease. You know, back then, normal TSH scores were as high as twelve. <laughs> so oh my gosh! The conventional world was missing a lot. Yeah, and then the, it was the wild west and the alternative side. So, I felt that people that had these hormone issues, you know, for me, lifestyle changed everything. But for them. It could, but only if they had reasonable amounts of these regulating hormones first. So that's just what I really connected with.
1: Fantastic. Well, what a story. And, you know, I know that that has motivated you probably to help, I don't know how many thousands of people at this point. But talk to us about the metabolism reset diet. You know, who is this diet really for? How is it different than what's already out there? Give us a little sense of of your take on The slowing metabolisms, and especially for many women, I know they struggle. Day doesn't go by in practice when I have somebody who's not so frustrated with their weight and their metabolism and really searching for answers.
0: Yeah. And this has been the perennial concern amongst my my readers, my patients. Um, Here's another nerdy reference. Uh, You ever play with a Rubik's Cube and you get like a couple of colors where you want? But if you try to push the last one in place and everything else gets goofed up, right? Yeah. So I think many feel that they have tools by which they could change their weight, but they know that if they do those things, if they restrict enough, that they're going to be miserable and they're going to be tired and hungry. You know, or they probably feel like they have tools in which they can eat in ways that allow them to feel well, you know, good foods, and, you know, be less stringent about total amounts. But if they do that and they have energy and manage their appetite, then their weight may not go where they want. So almost like there was these three pieces about appetite, energy, and weight to where, you know, or or the other thing about time and money, you know, you could work all the time and have money, but have no time to spend on it or vice versa. But, But yeah, those three pieces, people feel like they could get two out of the three, but not three out of the three. And the message is that when your body's healthy, you should get three out of the three. And it's not a matter of pushing harder. It's a matter of your body being able to regulate those three things to where they line up, to where you can be at a good weight and have good energy. And not have this crazy, out of control appetite to be there.
1: So, what is the best way to balance those things, and what, you know, what it, what is sort of the process, or how do you find that? What what is it that people are doing wrong, essentially, or how do we reset our metabolism?
0: Well, so there's a couple of facets to metabolism, and in most cases, people think about it being fast or slow, and that's that's relevant. But I think the big variable is how flexible it is. And what I mean by that is back to those three variables. So a flexible metabolism means that your food intake, you know, it's never gonna be precisely meeting your daily needs anyway. It never can, it's not possible. But if your metabolism is flexible, you have room. You know, if you're a little bit over, you don't have to put on pounds and pounds overnight. And if you're a little bit under, you don't have to be exhausted. Mm -hmm. You know, a pound of body fat could yield enough energy to keep the average person going for a couple of days it's never that we lack the fuel it's that we just lack the ability to use it in an effective way and that's what a flexible metabolism is your body can go a little over a little under and of course anyone even with a flexible metabolism could you know just go crazy over and gain or just starve and not feel good that's always possible but just how much leeway is there and many people have described it like they're walking on a tightrope to where if they get a tiny bit too much bad things happen and a tiny bit too less and they feel awful. So yeah, so a healthy metabolism gives you flexibility and leeway on variances in food intake.
1: So how do we, okay, so this is one thing that I've noticed, and it's so hard for everybody to understand and wrap their head around, but we have way more storage than we typically expend. So how on a, mm-hmm. the daily rhythm of life, what are things that people can do? First of all, let's even just talk about signs and symptoms that your metabolism may be slowing down. What do you typically tell? I know what I say, but what do you typically tell your patients to identify as signs that their metabolism is slowing down, things that they could look at?
0: Yeah, so subjectively, just those three big experiences about energy, weight, and appetite. If they're not syncing up automatically, something's off that way. Uh, A simple measurement is height to waist ratio. So Mm -hmm. circumference around the belly button when when your tummy's totally relaxed versus height. And the closer that is to half, the more likely it is that there's a compromise with metabolism. When you've got a healthy one, your height to weight ratio, your, your belly circumference is less than half of your height.
1: So that's a great little tool. So you're aiming for, is there an ideal uh, of where that ratio should be? So guys, he's saying that the... You take your height maybe in inches and compare it to your waist circumference in inches and you want to be under half and if you're approaching half meaning your uh the your waist circumference or those inches are approaching half of what your height is you're in trouble is there an idea i know all my perfectionists out there i can see you guys so is there somebody out there (laughs) is there somewhere where they should strive to be is like because i'm going to get these emails is a quarter better is a third better what's ideal if you're trying to do this ratio?
0: That's a really good question. So, you know, uh, illustrative point, if a gal was five feet tall, she's, what, 60 inches? So, yeah, that half would be 30 inches around the belly button. So ideal, and you're right, half is a warning level, and above half is more significant. But probably ideal is between about 0.4 to 0.45, so a little more mass. I, I wish it was an easy one like a quarter or a third, but, you know, 0.4, 0.45. But, but yeah, half is an easy thing to look at. And if you've got some leeway between where you are and a half, you're probably in good shape. If you really want to do the math, you can take the inches of the waist and divide that by the height. And, yeah, 0.4 to 0.45 is is the ultimate sweet spot. 0.4
1: to 0.45. You guys got that? I hope you're taking notes. So 0.4 to 0.45. uh, you know, for that math, literally do it quickly, get your height in inches, get your waist, waist circumference in inch, inches, aim for about yeah, f- uh, 0.4 to 0. 0.5, under 0. 0.5 is where you should be. Okay, you talk about being over fat, uh, being more of a health risk than being overweight. Let's talk about that for just a moment.
0: Yeah. You know, I was just at a medical conference a few weeks ago, and there was a a lot of people who were, you know, bodybuilders, and per body mass index, their height to weight ratio, they would have not gotten healthy discounts. But they're probably like, you know, seven, 8% body fat, but they're my height and 250 pounds. And that's kind of extreme example. But there's a lot of data saying how height to weight, it's, it's a decent predictor for populations, but it's not always a great one. There's a lot of people to where their weight may be off, and they could have Plenty of lost the muscle mass. But on the other side, there's many people that could have a really good body weight, but they have far too little muscle mass. We call those the skinny fat. And so it seems that it's really that height to waist. It's how much the body has extra fat in the wrong places that creates the risk more so than just the scale weight.
1: Got you. Okay. And then, um, so once they, okay, so everyone out there accepts that maybe they have, they're over fat and I would add in, I would throw in for anyone listening today, I would throw in that some of those signs are more abdominal weight or especially for women suddenly weight around your sides that you didn't have before or weight in your back or even Mm -hmm. heavier arms, any of these body composition changes. Like I always, you guys have heard me joke about this, but I'm always going to be larger at the bottom. This is a long lineage of being that way as much as yeah, could even do 50 surgeries and it won't change that's just the way we are but the minute it starts around my abdomen or my sides I know that I'm having a metabolism shift so that is uh, one way for you guys to tell once we all recognize that we're having an issue with a, a metabolism downshift, so to speak, or we're holding on to more body fat, which again, for women with all their hormone issues is a constant battle, what should they do next? Let's give them tangible steps of what they should really do next in terms of maybe assessing it and practical tips that they could use to, to go ahead and, and really wrangle with this whole thing.
0: Yeah, so in terms of assessing it, let me throw one more thing out that's especially important to women. So this book, I could have talked about all this as being a solution for fatty liver, but many have not heard about that or thought about it. And it turns out that it's more common than people think, but also it's on a really big continuum. And many that don't have it at a formal sense are, you know, heading towards it or at risk for it. So talking about other indicators or objective markers, and especially for women, there's a super common blood test. So to your listeners, anyone who's had a blood test, you know more and more patients access their tests, which is totally cool. And almost any panel would include a chemistry panel. And most mm-hmm. chemistry panels include liver enzymes. There's right. several of those. The most important one here is the ALT, the alanine amino It just says ALT. Now, mm-hmm. you can be square within normal range. Most labs they are normal up to anywhere from like low 40s to low 60s. But liver specialists are in strong agreement that if you're a woman and your ALT is above 19, that there's something wrong, that there's a problem with your liver function that can affect metabolism. Now, many other things could cause that to be high. Uh, You know, There's various types of liver infections. There's medication reactions. But barring the less common culprits, which should be ruled out, then we think about this issue with metabolism compromise from the liver function.
1: So what should, uh, and that is, again, I completely agree with you. We see that in, in things like fatty liver, um, liver enzymes going up, all of this stuff. Uh, talk to us a little bit about, you know, what we should do. And I, and again, I get and, and I, I guess this is a question that I have, quite honestly. So so we have the soft signs that our metabolism is shifting that we, you and I just talked about with um, height to waist circumference ratios, uh, looking maybe for areas where your body is now depositing fat, and then now looking at your liver enzymes. Uh, there's that there's that soft beginning, so to speak. And then there are the people who are pretty, pretty advanced and they've got significant,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: abdominal fat. They've got significant fatty liver. Those liver enzymes are off the chain. They're not at 19. They're in the forties and fifties and things yeah. like that, you know, so for the entire spectrum, you know, of people really trying to understand how to reset their metabolism, you know, what should they do first? What should do they second and does it sort of vary depending on as you're saying how much over fat you might have Um, let's talk through that a little bit
0: yeah so the solution that I propose is a 28 day reset process and there are those that have a fair amount of of weight apart from the most dangerous weight they wish to lose that may repeat that so weight can build up around the the subcutaneous like under the skin like you talked about bottom and size weight can build up around the organs, that's the visceral fat, and then weight can also build up inside the organ. And it turns out that's the most dangerous. There's even a few more levels of how that plays out in the liver. But with the reset diet, the most toxic fat in the organs, that can come down pretty dramatically. And it can take even just like, no no joke, like a two gram shift of intra-organ fat to move from diabetic to non-diabetic. So barring some of the more advanced cases of non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, or like really severe liver damage, barring that, people can really reverse the pathology within that 28 days. Now, if someone someone has, you know, 100 pounds they wish to lose, they actually can become metabolically healthy in 28 days, but they may say, yeah, I want to go further. And in those cases, we outline some processes by which you can take some time off and repeat up to four of those reset cycles per year. And so some might do. You know four total and have a, a big change in overall body weight and then do one per year for maintenance but that's the exciting part is the part that's causing the real symptoms and the issues that can change in like a month
1: so so again so did I just hear you right did you just say you can lose up to 100 pounds in 28 days
0: no and that's no thank you that's not at all what I intended to say no so, okay gotcha no, I just want to clarify days, that okay in 28 days yeah, with, without chopping up a couple legs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, days, that's too drastic, you guys. Drop, don't do that. You can drop a couple, of, <laughs> drop a couple of grams of fat from inside the organs.
1: Gotcha. Can, we, okay. we commonly
0: see waist loss, like waist inches lost of anywhere from like three to five inches. So you can move into a state to where you're no longer metabolically compromised. You don't have fatty liver, you're not pre-diabetic, and that's when you've got a better metabolism. So after that shift occurs, then people find they can eat reasonably healthy and eat more intuitively and have it work out well for them. But I was saying about those that have large amounts of weight they wish to lose, even though they can become metabolically healthy in 28 days, some may wish to have larger amounts of weight loss. And in those cases, they do well to repeat that process up to four times per year. So a 28-day reset process, say, once each quarter, and perhaps within one one to two years, we can see large amounts of weight loss. people that are thinking about 10, 20, 30 pounds, they'll do one or two cycles and do where they want to be and then have an easier time staying there.
1: Well, everyone definitely needs the book for a specific direction, but give us the essentials of this 28 day reset. Really, what are the four or five principles in it that are making such a big difference in losing this organ fat or this over fat? You know, uh, how are they starting? You know, what's happening through the 28 day? Just because, just remember, for everybody out there listening, I know, again, I can read my listeners' minds, although that sounds very odd, but I know what they're saying. That there's already <laughs> like so many 28 day detoxes, there's whole food, uh, whole food. 30, yeah. There's clean. I mean, there's all the stuff that's already out there, you know, on the in the environment and in the literature, so to speak. What is specific to your plan? What are maybe the three or four principles that you really dial into, and maybe the first three or four starting steps?
0: For sure. But yeah, there's lots of ways people can can just drop some pounds. Uh, it's easy to regain, and it's easy to have pounds lost more than waste lost, and it can be different for someone that doesn't have pat with that doesn't have alterations in liver function. So this is specific to those that have compromises to their metabolism, and this is about waste loss and about lasting and keeping it off. So what's different about it is that we choose foods that help to support a good number of the liver pathways that are involved. We also supply using adequate amounts of essential amino acids that are needed for the liver to conjugate and get rid of toxic triglycerides that get trapped inside of it. Uh, we also do a process of meal replacement, and it mm-hmm. turns out that the fewer the fewer times your liver has to process large amounts of food, the better chance it has for repairing itself. But on the flip side, if the liver becomes too lacking in essential proteins, either it can't work as well or you have to sacrifice a lot of muscle mass. And then the other pitfall is that you need to have a, st- a source of glucose from outside of your body. So. If a diet did supply that, it could run the risk of just giving too much total food and a lot of processed carb. But we rely heavily upon resistant starch, which is pretty amazing stuff. It's, it's a kind of glucose that doesn't use insulin or cortisol to regulate. And each time you ingest it, it gives you a stable amount of blood glucose for about seven to nine hours. So the benefits of that are your liver gets to rebuild glycogen. Your liver basically keeps fuel in two compartments. One is called triglycerides and one is called glycogen. They're both good. You should have some of both. But what happens is the body gets too much triglyceride and too little glycogen. And the Mm -hmm. pitfall about that is you need glycogen to burn triglyceride. So the goal is to break down some of the toxic triglycerides by helping the liver do it by other mechanisms while we're rebuilding the glycogen so in the future the liver can do a better job burning fat.
1: So what is the best way to help with glycogen buildup and triglyceride breakdown? I've always learned fiber, you know, using fiber for some of this stuff, but it sounds like you're saying, no, it may be more using amino acids.
0: Well, so for conjugating triglycerides, amino acids are important. For rebuilding glycogen, then, yeah, you need glucose, but you need glucose in a way that's just steady in your blood and not a lot of ups and downs. And this is funny. I think people have really wrapped their heads around the fact that Blood cholesterol is not as simple as eating foods that have cholesterol you know a lot of foods that have cholesterol don't raise cholesterol and some foods that don't have cholesterol do so, so they're not that tied in but people haven't yet wrapped the nuances of blood glucose so we've often thought that everyone gets that you want stable blood sugar but people have thought that therefore you want to just eliminate foods that become glucose so You just cut out carbohydrates but the pitfall right. with that is glucose is non-negotiable you know and so if you're not getting something you can use from your diet then you use muscle tissue to make into glucose, and also, in the pitfalls about that is you're having to triage important amino acids away from the liver and also lose muscle mass. So mm-hmm. the trick is how do you get glucose in a way that doesn't create random blood sugar and doesn't create a lot of demands upon insulin, and that's where we rely upon resistant starch products to do that.
1: Got you. Okay. And then how is what you're proposing different from the fasting mimicking diet, intermittent fasting, keto? Let's talk about that just for just a couple seconds.
0: Sure. sure. So fast mimicking diet, the idea with that a periods of time that may give benefits of prolonged fasting towards aging effects, but the the protein intake is quite low. So That may be useful for those purposes, but when someone has compromised liver function, we've got that issue again about borrowing protein. You know, somewhere around, uh, your body uses somewhere around half to three quarters of a gram of protein per pound of lean muscle mass just to keep your muscles there. And if you go without that for some length of time, you lose muscle tissue. And the pitfall about that is even if you lose weight, you're you're not losing waste. You know, a great rule of thumb that a woman could think about, if she ever is losing more than six pounds, lose an inch around her waist, she's mm-hmm. not becoming a healthier person. She's not going to be in better shape afterward. So what i love to see about this program is that a lot of women write in and say, hey, I, I lost you know, like five pounds, but I lost three inches. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's, that's a huge shift. So that's, that's right. like a lot of change right where you want it. So that that's the difference there. In terms of intermittent fasting, uh, the idea behind that one is just you know, there's certainly data saying that people who have done it have seen benefits to their weight or their blood sugar. I personally mm-hmm. haven't yet seen data saying that they've seen more benefit than they would have had had they just eaten that much less food. You know, so that that's an open question. And then back to the idea about protein, muscle status, liver function. A pitfall is that even if you consume adequate amount of protein, but there's long times like wait when you're awake, more than four hour gaps between protein ingestion then you're also borrowing more from muscle mass. You're going down that compromise level, but mm-hmm. so towards the goal of improving yeah. metabolism in a lasting way. And then ketosis. So lots of good evidence that ketogenic diets may be useful for some resistant types of pediatric epilepsy. And also mm-hmm. a lot of evidence that anytime you run at a fuel deficit, your body does generate small amounts of ketones, which may be useful things for offsetting appetite. But a pitfall about just forcing that pathway is that, you know, to the liver, carbs, fats, and ketones, they're all, they're all fuel. They all break down to something called oxaloacetate. And ultimately, after processing, one is not different from the other. And that's not saying that they're not things that that have different roles elsewhere in the body. There's some essential fats, there's lots of good fibers. But as far as the, the, the mass goes to your liver and clearing itself out, they're really identical, um, with the exception of ketones being the hardest, and that the liver can't use them for fuel. So the liver can convert Carbs or fat, uh, uh, carbs first into fats and then fats into ketones. But ketones don't represent the product of burning fat. They represent the product of the body being unable to burn fat and therefore converting it to a different form. And, and yeah, your liver can't use them for fuel. So, liver can use uh, glucose for fuel, and that, that's the preferred way to have glycogen built up. So, so, yeah, that's the negative about just ketogenic programs for liver function.
1: Interesting. So sounds like the 28-day metabolism reset is very much about balancing the needs of the liver, uh, building up glycogen stores, reducing triglycerides that way, and then eating in a more, it sounds like a more consistent pattern, not getting into a lot of the fasting work or, or things like that. Do I have that correct?
0: You know, spot on. And a really important point too is that this is meant to affect a change in your body. And afterwards, if you wish to check out how fast-mimicking diets work, or if you have pretty different dietary preferences, you're more paleo vegan, then you should be able to reach a state to where your body's got the leeway to to do things in ways that work best for you, that fit your beliefs and ideas you can respond well to, because you can find people that do well on many programs long-term and in many mm-hmm. that do not. So the idea about resetting your liver is to put you in that group of people that's got that's got their options open again.
1: I love it, and I'm a big believer. I have a very strong Chinese medicine background, so I'm a big believer in protecting that liver, understanding what's happening with the liver. It really is, it might be ground zero right after the gut in terms of determining so much of our health. Dr. Christensen, thank you so much for taking time with me today. If the audience wants to connect with you, what is the best way for them to do that?
0: You know, easy thing, drchristensen.com, and if they're curious about the program, we always do a free challenge every month there's one coming up at the beginning of most months, they can just go to that page and find information and get all the training and, you know, cooking videos and see if it makes sense for them.
1: Fantastic. I really appreciate your time today. I know this is a a topic of concern for so many women out there today, really trying to understand what's happening with their bodies and with their metabolism. And it's so tied up in self-esteem. I wish it wasn't, but for so many people it is. So thank you for shedding light on that for everybody else. The book remember is the metabolism reset diet. It was just out in February. So get your copy of it today. And thank you for listening to this episode of Superwoman Wellness, which is now on Spotify as well. So if you have questions about today's show, connect with me on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Taz MD, and if you enjoyed the show, please rate and review and share it with your friends. I'll see you guys next time.